welcome to more to come pw comic world's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing recorded at the pw offices in new york city uh and elsewhere from time to time i'm calvin reed senior news editor of publishers weekly and co-editor of pw comics world check us out publishersweekly.com slash comics and I am Heidi McDonald. I am the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly, the editor-in-chief of the Comics Beat. And I am sitting across from Camden Yards in Baltimore right now, because I'm here in Baltimore for the Diamond Retailer Summit. But you can check us out on PW Comics World on Twitter. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld so this week on more to come we're going to be talking live with Heidi McDonald at the Baltimore Comic Con where she's going to be attending the Diamond Retailer Summit then we'll also be talking about Flame Con we, we, we did a preview of it and we're going to uh, all three of us were there at one time or another so we're going to do, talk about that a little bit uh, and then we're going to get in um, do a, do a little bit of more talk about Suicide Squad and then the briefs. And then also some interviews from FlameCon with Greg Pack, uh, Magdalene Visaggio of Kim and Kim, and Sophie Campbell. Hey, Heidi. Um, what's it like in Baltimore? Uh, well, it's, it's very, it's lovely. I love this town. It's a, you know, it's such a beautiful, they call it Charm City, and there really is a reason they call it Charm City. It's very charming. Um, but uh, some might say, I'm at the Charming Diamond Retailers Summit. This is an annual confab of publishers, retailers, and uh, a few car professionals uh, gathered together to talk about business, make announcements, mm-hmm. talk about uh, final order cutoff, uh, POS systems, um, discount levels, all that exciting stuff. <laughs> exciting, sexy stuff. Certainly, though, for retailers and the business side of comics. Yes, definitely. So... Uh, yeah, but, you know, I'm really glad I'm here. Um, you know, last year the mood was uh, the mood was a little uncertain last year. Um, you know, DC was going through some problems. You know, I think Marvel had run out of steam a little bit. Uh, and, you know, and the famous words of Milton Brief, uh, we've hit a bit of a rough patch. And, you know, this year the mood is a lot more upbeat. I mean, thus far, you know, I mean, I've only been through breakfast and lunch so far. Uh, retailers need regular feeding breaks. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> We're going to go, uh, we'll have dinner tonight and, um, you know, see what, what that unlocks. But, um, yeah, so far, you know, I've been talking to a few people. Yeah, I would have to say the mood is upbeat here. So do the retailers get fed by the various comic companies? Well, Diamond puts it on, and they do sponsor. You know, we have various sponsors that uh, sponsor each event. Now, at breakfast, this was a break with tradition. Normally, DC Comics does their presentation at the end. It's the end of the dinner. And, you know, more and I have to be honest, there are more and more sponsors now. More and more companies are around to ante up to sponsor these things. So the dinners get longer and longer. And I think D.C. just realized that, you know, coming at the end of three hours of people sitting around drinking wasn't the must. uh, (laughs) And and listening to boring presentations wasn't the best use of their 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 sponsor dollars. Well, is, yeah. that, is so, that in itself a, a sort of measure of how the business is doing? More sponsors? I mean, certainly, um, you know, the businesses we've been getting most of the year is that uh, the comics market uh, seems to be doing just fine. Well, I'm sure you saw, Calvin, did you see the story that just came out uh, about like DC has been trumpeting, actually, their summer? And they had a chart, I, which I, I posted up on social media, but, uh, you know, Dan DiDio got up this morning and he had a chart that showed. Uh, these, uh, the new 52 versus Rebirth, and guess what? Rebirth has sold more copies and has had a factor sales trajectory. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think uh, a lot of us look at the new 52 as being a kind of a high watermark, but sure. guess what? Rebirth has supposedly surpassed that. Now, I haven't done a title count um, comparison to see, uh, you know, how that... books. I'm sorry, Kate? Rebirth has fewer books. Well, you know what? That's what I understood. But they are shipping twice a month, so that might be the difference. There might be fewer titles, but more individual issues. Well, this is certainly the message that they were uh, handing out in San Diego. Uh, They were almost giddy uh, with the success uh, of Rebirth, apparently, in all the channels. So, yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, I think they still have fewer books shipping, but my guess is that um, by this time around, not 
just throwing a million titles at the wall and seeing if they stick. They're sticking to um, bigger name oh items for their, their trumpeted rebirth stuff. So I wonder if it's just that a, a Wonder Woman is going to, even if you've got two issues of it a month, each issue is going to sell more than an Aquaman. Yeah, that, that could possibly be part of it. You know, I'm sure there are some pundits and, and number crunches who are, uh, you know, investigating this as we speak and, um, you know, will take a look at it and, uh, you know, give us more of a breakdown. So, I, I you know, I, I'm here, so I haven't really been able to crunch the numbers yet uh, to see if this is entirely accurate. But, you know, they said they sold 12 million units. Oh, so yes. that's a pretty good, yeah. that's a good number. It you really know? is. And, yeah, that, yeah, that was the, going around. That information was floating all over the Internet today. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, let me tell you, I did have a chance to chat briefly to Dan DeDio after his breakfast presentation. And, um, you know, after we talked about the Mets, which is what was the most <laughs> concern to us, uh, we, did talk, uh, we did talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we, they talked about graphic novels um, and, uh, you know, superhero girls. This is something that yeah. Jim Lee, mm-hmm. the DC's other co-publisher, mentioned at breakfast. And, uh, you know, this was one of their top sellers in yeah. this, the summer. So this has really, really done well for them. And, uh, you know, Dr. David Gabriel uh, was there as well. And he um, also was talking, again, about the graphic novels and how, how well they're doing. And, you know, Scholastic. Scholastic has become very important for them. So, yeah. you know, I talked to Dark Horse. Dark Horse also is talking about their graphic novel program. So a lot of this is being driven by graphic novels. It's a book format world, people. Well, you know, I mean, there's definitely a big gap between kitties and puppies and post-apocalyptic uh, love triangles that <laughs> is, is uh, you know, ripe fulfilling with superheroes mm-hmm. uh any other presentations um well it's interesting seeing uh you know aftershock uh did a presentation and there's a lot of companies that were new last year like uh aftershock was new double take was new um uh, you know a couple of other kind of periodical publishers are coming on and aftershock was talking about and you know now i'm going to forget their name i did tweet it but they have a book that's doing really well selling out but uh, more to the point uh the books that they have coming out now over the next couple months alters and Shipwreck, Alters is by Paul Jenkins, uh, and Shipwreck is by Warren Ellis. It's about a strange shipwreck, and I said that's just the best. Somehow when Warren Ellis writes a book, it says it's a strange shipwreck. It's the best logline I ever heard. Uh, <laughs> so their book, those books, the orders for those are, are increasing. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say Aftershock has had uh, the best roll out for their program, but they're getting there. You know, they're improving. They're on the demand. And also Lion Forge ah. came out. I talked I talked to them afterwards as well. They are not ready to make their announcements. Probably New York Comic Con, but they have a lot of new stuff lined up uh with their new editors, uh Joe Lillage and Mark Smiley, uh who, who their new sales there? team. Who, who's in Baltimore? Is Joe down there or the uh, any of the other staff? That we uh, not Joe is not here, but uh, Rich Johnson is here, Rich of course, mm-hmm. and um, you know their publisher Jeff Gerber is here. I talked right. to him briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, you guys are going to hear about this. Uh, there was, <laughs> and of course, I am going to write about this for PW. So I have more, uh, more. I have a story for you guys uh, where we talk more about all of this. But there was a very interesting panel this morning called, uh, you know, how to sell manga in your store, and it ah. had. Uh, Someone from Viz was on it. Um, a couple of people from uh, Matt Lehman and his manga buyer. Uh, I think her name was Mag- Madalena. I don't, Mag- I don't have it written down. Okay, We'll have this all in the story. Everybody's name will be spelled correctly. Um, <laughs> and Stuart Levy from Tokyo Pop were on ah, the panel. The and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. You know, when they were talking, a lot of, lot of interesting things and... Uh, you know, like there, I mean, we've always talked about manga being on the comeback. It was a very full room. Uh, yeah. well, not full, but I mean, a good turnout. I've yeah. been to a lot of these things. It was a good turnout for the panel. Was Kodansha um, there? You know, there was someone from Kodansha in the audience. He wasn't oh, there okay. in time to be on the panel. So, um, but there was certainly, uh, you know, there, there was, it was a lot of interest. And yeah, I, I tweeted some of the things that were said, but, you know, uh, we've been predicting this, Calvin and Kate, a long time, but, you know, a lot of the girls who read manga as teens are now grown-ups with their own disposable income, and, you know, now they're having, a, as with comics, kind of a little 
nostalgia boomlet, ah. you know, where they're going back and, and buying some of the stuff they read as kids. So, so they're seeing some of that. And, of course, the great new uh, franchises, uh, yeah. like Attack on Titan, One Punch Man, mm. and uh, exposure on Toonami and uh, streaming services is definitely helping. Sure. Um, and then, the, but then <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the uh, retailers there told this story about how uh, they were selling some manga at the, at, um, they were selling manga at some show. They were manning a table, and, like, some mother kid no it's at the store actually and the mother comes in with a kid and the kid is reading the stuff and the kid wanted to buy it and then the mother says no no you can read that for free online oh no oh, <laughs> oh. ouch <laughs> ouch um, now you know if if we were parents on a budget we'd probably say the same of course, thing no if we were parents but, on a budget we'd say you can go to the library they've got comics there <laughs> ah yes please, there you go please. well we need to make yep. sure that we're not bringing up a um uh, a generation of mate uh, maternal uh, digital pirates <laughs> <laughs> Mama was a digital pirate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there was there was some talk, and there was uh, definitely some talk also about that uh, from Kodansha. Uh, they were saying uh, that they're trying to increase their search ranking so that their actual site comes up before the Scandinavian site. Yeah, so, before, yeah. You know, it's it's a multi-front battle really for them. So, yeah, you know, the other thing that's going on. I, I mean, I've gotten a lot of props. Uh, you know, I hate to bring it up, but, you know, there was that article that went on line a couple of days ago that was like, you know, die, comics industry, die. Oh, yeah, I kind of want to see that? that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, no, I, I saw it. it I didn't great... get a chance to read it, but but go on. I thought it was a great article. Mm. You thought the, the die, industry, die one was a great article? Yes. It, well, now, what's Why? the gist of this? I saw it online, okay. but I didn't get a chance to read it. So the gist of it is that you should not personally feel guilted into buying things you don't feel like buying because uh, creators are like, oh, you know, you need to pre-order everything. Otherwise, uh, I will sink into the mud and never have any money. It's the worst ever. Oh, woes is me. That, that the problem is not that you, the comics buyer, are a bad person for not wanting to buy this book in the format that they like best or that is most financially good for the company it is the company's business to be a company and to sell their product to you and you should buy the product in the way you like at the time you like and now you know Kate oh Kate I'm sorry continue and there's there's no you have no moral responsibility to pre-order if you don't feel like it and now you know if that is what the article had if that's all that the article had said I think everyone would agree it was a good article unfortunately it also went into this uh, the first like five or six paragraphs of it were this history of comics and commentary on Marvel and personal attacks on comic book professionals, you know, making fun of their appearance and, you know, swearing, you know, like just saying things like Marvel was to blame for all this because Marvel invented the direct market and, you know, stole comics away from the media. It was just cool. Basically. It was okay. Totally well, cool. I, that I scrolled now, down through now, the, ah, yeah. the halcyon days of the newsstand do you know how direct market came to be? Because I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I scrolled down to the new content uh, about why is he saying die, industry, die. And then when it was like, uh, don't let them guilt you into buying their book, I was like, yeah, that's right. Who wrote this piece? Uh, an anonymous person on the outhouse called Jude Terror. Oh, so, okay. But you know, oh, no, you that's know right. This is an outhouse piece. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, you, you know, I'm so glad to hear you say this, Kate, because I've seen a lot of people who I like Saying, you know, saw this piece. I'm like, right, right, you know, right on. I think they're and saying... I'm like, you know, I, but what, let me just finish the thought. Like, whereas here, the minute, because uh, I wrote a rebuttal to it, okay? Let me tell you, if people hadn't been reading this online at a $700 device, they would have thrown it across the room. Because people, it made people in the industry so angry, okay? But go on, Kate, I'm sorry. Well, but I think that the problem is that because it was one post and not two posts, uh, the fact that the writer of the post maybe has some very uh, highly charged feelings and language and maybe not all the details correct on how the current uh, comic industry came to be uh, clouds I think the very good point in the second half of the article that you know maybe the comic industry does not have the best business model at the moment 
And if they don't, that's their problem. But I mean, who uh, who uh, 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 what artists are out here guilt tripping their fans into? A lot into? of them. There's there's a typical thing where you get this. You see this typically. You say they say. You know, you say that you like this comic, but you buy it in trade, and now my comic is canceled. Or you say no, that you like well. this comic, and so you, you really, guys, you need to get out there and pre-order. And, and, or alternately, you see this a lot. You see, like, you want diverse books, but you didn't buy my book, and it's diverse, so now it's your fault that we don't have diverse books, when maybe you didn't like that diverse book. Well, you know, but you know something, see, that's what I don't get. It's like a lot of people have said, you know, I have a diverse book and you should buy my book. And then when people don't stand up for that book, because maybe it isn't the best book, they're told that they're anti-progressive and they're, you know, racist mm. or sexist or trans, anti-trans. So it's like, you know, it's just to me, it's like, you, you know, I've heard both these messages. Well, yeah, diversity ain't easy, is it? It's a complex issue. Mm, no. well, I mean, there's, you know, you can have more than one idea about this piece for sure. Yeah, and you know, and then, you know, just to, to wrap this up, it's like you know, I see a lot of people picking up this message and being like, you know, I, oh, the DM is broken and Diamond is terrible, and uh, you know, listen, I'm here eating, you know, Diamond's cookies, so you know that message isn't going to go too far where I'm at, no question about it. And at the same time, it's like I, I I have to be honest. Every time I talk to a retailer or somebody down here, they're trying to solve these problems. You know, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. You can I have... mean, to say that the say the industry isn't aware of this problem and isn't you know at least trying to do some things or trying to expose themselves, you, you know, to more. I, I mean, I just think that's inaccurate. Yeah, you know, but I could be wrong. But I could be wrong. You also. know, no. The only thing I would say, especially since we have seen over the last ten years, that the, the, the direct market is, you know, trying to address some of the, its long-term problems, and it has changed. And certainly, in the best, the best uh, stores, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I the think the better stores. I I think that, and I also think that there's more room to change, and Absolutely. that that though, yeah. I mean, I I definitely think that there are still some market adjustments that yeah. need to be made. Um, that could make it a little more efficient or a little better run, but you know that happens. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's, absolutely. Let, let, let's segue um, yeah. uh, to a couple other topics. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk about was FlameCon. Just to kind of look back yeah. at it. Um, yeah, just saying it. Kate gets this wistful. Her she, her eyes just sort of drift back mm -hmm. to the halcyon days of about two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and and you were there as well, Heidi. And you were I there, was. During an early part of the day, I got there in the uh, afternoon. You were there on Sunday. Sunday. Went Sunday. And you know, th this show is going to be—it's um, it, it, made a mark, and it's going to make a bigger mark, I think, in, in years to come. Much better um, facility, venue this year, I thought. Um, oh, absolutely! Just yeah, so easy to get to. I mean, the, the other facility was very nice. It was great, <laughs> yes. but it definitely had its downside, uh, i.e., terrible air conditioning. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, but, and no food. Yeah, but this was really easy to get to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, aside from the fact that it was sweltering and people starved to death, it was... Uh, well, I mean, people but, yeah. people can bring their own food, as mm. witness the Javins. Um, <laughs> uh, but actually, one thing about being being where it is in downtown Brooklyn there, it's pretty easy to kind of yeah, go really out is. and come back. There's there's places around the corner you can go. But 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 really, as a, it had, a, had, I thought, a, a nice, spacious uh, exhibition floor... Uh, the um, the programming was very close at, at hand. Uh, now some of the you know I think they, one of the only problems I found that some of the um, uh, some of the panels were really um, under under attended. I mean dramatically, uh, unfortunately under under attended. Oh, were they? See, now I couldn't even get into some of the panels that, see, the well, time I was there. I mean, maybe this is an unresolvable problem. I mean, I I. In particular, went to a uh, terrific panel, the Seven Miles a Second panel. The uh, basically it's about the um, uh, the the graphic memoir of the East Village artist and AIDS activist David Warnerovich, um, uh, moderated by a really terrific woman. Uh, do you, I don't know if you, any of you guys know her, Margaret Galvin. Um, she's a, uh, a PhD candidate. Of, excuse me, she is a a PhD now at uh, CUNY. Uh, she conducted it. She does a. She actually does a lot of writing, and she's worked on building an archive on women's queer political comics in the 70s and 80s and on up to today. She moderated a panel of James and Marguerite. Really very good. I'm telling you, there were maybe six or seven people in the room. Well, you know, the thing is that I think 
sometimes it has to do with the crowd appeal of the subject matter. That when you're talking about a specific bio of a specific long dead person, you might want to bundle in a couple queer bio comics together yeah, in so. order to uh, attract more audience. I will say this: five of the six people in the audience were media. So on the one hand, <laughs> on the one hand, we, you know, we didn't get a big audience, but they, they were uh, they were media from queer media. Yeah, was it early in the morning? No, no. This was at this was at six in the in the uh, in the in the evening. Oh well, in that case, that would also make sense. So toward yeah. the beginning and end of a convention. Yeah. You know what? I got to be honest, though. I find with a lot of these, uh, you know, the, the, the diversity panels at uh, New York Comic Con San Diego are usually packed. You yeah. know, and I, I yeah. feel like people, people really want to, you know, not that that wasn't an amazing topic and you know, great yeah. artists and a lot to say, but I feel like people really want to go to panels that are about themselves. You know, well, that are about yeah. Yeah. Well, but, it was a panel about a, about a gay activist, but there you go. Well, um, but I, I what about the panels that, that you guys attended? Well, I mean, were they like were they all packed? I mean, did you go, did you go to any panels? Um, quite frankly, I was more interested in what I was seeing on the floor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I sure. mean, I think I sure. wasn't alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I was on the floor good most of the time. Yeah. I, I will say that I was very disappointed. One thing I was disappointed in, and this is it seems minor, but it actually blocked a large chunk of their programming, is their stage setup was awful it was only like a foot off the ground or something because when you were in the crowd you couldn't see anything unless you were in the front row no were you talking about the uh they have, the, so they the, have stage the stage in the in the anteroom yeah sort they're, of, they're all their stage yeah. stuff and mm. they had some pretty good stuff planned yeah, yeah and they had a band were, and some other yeah things, all right. kinds of things um was on the stage and there was it was just not high enough on, off the mm, ground yeah. for the crowd to see it. So you just, if you weren't in the first two rows, you saw nothing. Mm. And so a whole track of programming was just basically inaccessible to most of the attendees. Mm. So that was uh-huh. kind of a, maybe not as well thought out as it might have been. Uh, but otherwise, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was roaming the floor. I, did, I talked with, uh, uh, what's it, Hazel uh, Nulevant, who... Um, the who edited Chainmail Bikini, one of our um, one of the books that Heidi pointed out for um, in one of the fall roundups, um, and I bumped into a really interesting woman. Uh, you guys may know about this, but I sort of just discovered it. Hiveworks. Um, it's a, a publisher, I believe. They're Cal- in the West Calvin. Calvin. The beat is hosted on Hiveworks. Oh, is it really? Oh, well, it's an awesome, yeah. it's a very awesome site to what they do. I mean, hosting web comics and print comics. Okay, I didn't know about them, but you know what? I know about them now. Um, but yeah, there you go. I didn't know that, Heidi. Sorry about that. But that's a great, uh, it's a really great site. Uh, in fact, I'm going to make sure that we give them some um, some editorial coverage. Good. You can mention how the, the beat is. They uh, also publish the beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're awesome. Well, you know, uh, we also have some interviews from FlameCon, which we will be bringing awesome. to you, dear listeners. Great. I love it. What did you do there, Heidi? You, uh, you know, I was only there for a couple of hours. I had a uh, commitment to go to that, uh, you know, start at 5 o'clock, so I had to leave very early. So I was only there for a couple of hours. I really just walked around, talked to people. But, I mean, it was great. I mean, there was a lot of people... A lot of creators who, uh, you know, underrepresented, obviously, mm-hmm. at other conventions. You know, I felt like this was the, uh, you know, like the mid-sized con that New York really needs, mm-hmm. in a way. You know, that has a little bit more, a little more mainstream. I mean, there were some books that were more mainstream. But, you know, what really came across was just how inclusive it was. And, you know, I yeah. the word safe space is controversial, but, you know, there is... You know, the way it should be used is as a place where people feel comfortable and safe, you yes. know, and, and not not making other places safe, you know, but find creating a new place that's Absolutely. safe. And that's what FlameCon is. It was like everyone was so uh, accepted there and everything was accepted. And, you know, what? there's so many young comics fans, yeah. right, you know, queer and straight and Absolutely. everything in between. And they were very enthusiastic. And, you know, these this audience has its own comic heroes. And, uh, you know, I, I felt very future-friendly there. Yeah, I, I, I believe I had a great time. I really did. Yeah. And I, I just saw so many great comics. And it was diverse not only in uh, what various different orientations and, and things were there, but also in the types of comics. Because there wasn't... There were 
top-of-the-line creators, and there were people who were just coming out with their first little mini-comic, everything, and all sort of on an equal playing field. It was great. Yeah, I mean, this, the woman I mentioned, Hazel, she was in one of the classes at the uh, SVA that Heidi and I, because we used to go to uh, Dan Nadell's classes, and she was one of the students when we did this. And she's really kind of blossomed into uh, an independent creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really awesome. Thing. You know, we talk about how New York has really gone down. You know, like a lot of people have left New York. A lot of cartoonists just can't afford to live there. And, uh, you know, and, you know, Portland is becoming the Portland, Oregon is the comic center of the world. You know, you might, or Image now, well, they didn't announce that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Larry, but they were moving there. But, uh, you know, this is a nice reminder that, you know what, New York has still got a really strong comics community. The only, so. the only table, well, I only saw two tables that were not particularly welcome, both of which I think were a matter of maybe mistargeting. Um, one of them was a erotic sci-fi comedy video series that when I asked them if they had any queer comment content he was like oh well we're very you know sex positive and I was like yeah and and he was like oh and I think that we're gonna have like two girls and a guy and I was like yeah and and he was like yeah I guess we're gonna have some gay content like later this year and then he was just like sitting there looking so sad that no one was coming to his table and all I could think is what are you doing at a queer comic con? <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> so yes, there, maybe didn't read the fine maybe print. Maybe <laughs> con isn't for everyone. Uh, if your stuff is all about straight sex, then maybe this is not the convention for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, but otherwise, you're welcome. There you go. Well, I guess you learned the hard way. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, but speaking of unusual things, there uh, one that was doing very well was a place that uh, would sell com- cookies with comics in them. Comics about spacefaring unicorns. And then I you... believe that is Heather's I think we've written about them before also. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, Yeah, I think we I, th- I think we interview them for sure, yeah. But yeah. But go they on. were selling cookies and comics and okay. comics with cookies. Well you know what? You can't yeah. have too much of comics apparently. You can't have too <laughs> well, many you cookies can't... though. Yeah. You can't have too well. You can't have too many cookies, but it's awful. It's awesome to get there. Yes, there so, you go. Well, you know what, guys? I'm gonna have to zip off because we're about to have dinner here. So uh, I'm gonna have to to go see who's talking at dinner and see what they're feeding us. So right. uh, okay. I, I will talk to you later. But uh, as always, there'll be more to come from both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so bon much. Bon appetit. <laughs> All right. There you go. Um, but Suicide Squad, and we, 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 we talked about it when I think all of us had not ta- seen it. Yeah, uh, we talked about it as a cultural and commercial phenomenon, yes. not as something we had actually seen yeah. yet. So, uh, I've seen it. I have seen it as well. Um, I, I don't really have a lot of good things to say about it. I, I will say the things that I did like about it. Um, I liked uh, Amanda Waller, who was Viola Davis. I thought she, I thought, I thought she did a, a um, I, I thought she had sort of captured the character. I will say this: I think some of the people did capture the characters, sort of, but I just didn't like the performances, <laughs> the, the dialogue, the script, uh, the cinematography, or, or much of anything else. Um, but I did like her character as cold-blooded a character as she is. turned out it is. Um, look, you know, um, uh, Margot Robbie, the Harley Quinn, I mean, she, she captures the character. Now there's problems, I think, with how the character is used in the film. Um, I thought the Joker looked good, but I, I didn't much care for, uh, uh, what's, what's the actor's name? Jared Leto. I didn't much care for his performance, um. Uh, look, I uh, was cheering for him to stay dead, I must say. Yeah, I didn't get it. And then, yeah, so, uh. Look, Harley Quinn was a favorite of mine. Look, for lots of reasons. Look, she's a beautiful woman. Uh, she's got the kind of um, I think she kind of captures the that the, the the persona, put it that way, of Harley Quinn. Uh, she looks great, you know. But you know, I just don't think that they really gave her much to say. I mean, I'm I'm curious to know what women think of her her uh, the portrayal. There was certainly enough shots of her ass. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, it seemed like that seemed to be more of what they were interested in than most of anything else. 
Um, you know, I didn't care for the Joker's performance. I mean, Will Smith was okay, but you know, this movie just has got so many problems. Uh, where do you start? Even the, I even thought the scene where, you know, that they leap into the vats of chemicals. I mean, how many fans really understand what that meant? I mean, I mean, obviously there's some connection with the Joker's origin, but it just seemed to sort of happen in a way that just didn't seem to make any sense, any sense at all, uh, for, some fan that might anyone who might not be completely immersed in you know the uh, the DC universe. So I, enough of me trashing it. What what, what do you think? You you've got maybe you got yeah, well, more positive or more well, more yeah, interesting I, things to say. Right. About it. Well, I mean, I don't know what's more interesting, but um, I think this was the first DC movie in a while that did not fill me with rage at any point. <laughs> I'm not saying that I was. You know, I was like, oh, this is a great movie. I'm going to go back a second time. But I I enjoyed it for what it was, which was a big, dumb <laughs> boy, movie. Oh boy, of a, it was It really was like a, a flashback to the type of action movies that were in the early 90s, mm. where the plot was negligible. The plot holes you could drive a truck through. Um, uh, it went, but it was just... A, a sure. big, dumb, goofy movie that didn't have any pretensions of being more. Um, yeah. And so on that, and it didn't deform any of the characters that I actually knew. I mean, I, Diablo I can't speak to. I've never seen him in the comics. But it didn't de- deform any of the characters I knew uh, completely beyond what I knew them to be in the comics. Like, it didn't make them into totally different people. I, I will leave Joker out of this because I never liked the Joker. Like yeah. I, I don't like the character anyway, so I just didn't yeah. care. So I was just going la la la. I can't hear you through all the parts he was on the screen. Yeah. Because I was incredibly bored and squicked by the Joker, which I always am. Um, but generally speaking, I just enjoyed it for what it was, which was big and dumb and flashy, and uh, didn't offend me in any way. Um, I did think it was funny that the Enchantress, for reasons I did not really comprehend felt the need to gyrate constantly once she was in her throne room of evil uh which what even was that room supposed to originally be do you know do like do that, most um you, you know skyscrapers randomly have a throne room of evil in it like where did that come from i mean they, um and they they turned their own movie into pure camp it seemed to me unintentionally but go on it was and, pure camp and and her and she and, and her in particular the the, the gyrations there uh, sort well, of, I, what was that for what was know. going on like a, what was, was like, she doing it was like I don't goofy know. burlesque i mean i but if she even wasn't like you didn't say. Even, like i was like are the are the like existential forces of the vortex she's standing in front of causing her to gyrate like <laughs> yeah, what know. what it's, is it's, going on and why is her skirt see-through yeah um that i didn't really get and obviously, like I said, the plot resembled nothing so much as that of watching someone else play a video game where you get the first item and then now you have to get this. Uh, oh, but then you didn't really get the goal. Now you have to get to the second goal. Oh, no, that's not the real goal. Now you have to have the big boss fight. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you know I mean, and somebody the, randomly seems to turn into an Aztec god without anyone commenting on it. That was weird. Um, yeah, I didn't. And people seem to like throw punches at him, you know, like you're in a bar fight. It seems like. You, yeah, yeah, but but that's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm not going to go into relative plausibility in a medium that is is spectacularly implausible, even no matter how but, good something is. But but what my problem with the movie is that that even when you know things are big, dumb, and flashy, uh, the ones that work the best, they, they, there's something about them that connects with you and it connects with your sense of how a story should be told. And this movie just never seemed to have that at any point. Well, I think what worked for me about the movie, what did work for me, was that I felt that Will Smith, Margot Robbie, and Viola Davis were carrying it on their shoulders. Yeah. And I yeah. really believed the Will Smith character cared about his kid. I believed the Will Smith character became genuinely friends with Margot Robbie's character. Um, and I... I enjoyed her as like the incarnation of chaos that she was and their weird friendship for a weird friendship between bad people, which it was. And I just liked that finally, finally, someone got live action Amanda Waller right, which they have previously not done at all. And so I just enjoyed it as 
that. I will say that I don't understand why her shorts were underpants, but it's still an improvement. Just, just saying. Well, I mean, yes, but there are, there are plenty of, of short shorts in this world that are not underpants. Um, but hey, at least she's wearing a t-shirt, which is a step up in the actually wearing clothes from what she's currently wearing in the comic. So hey. And if I may say so, what a t-shirt. <laughs> but well, go yeah, on. Well, yeah, but I mean, but I mean, like people wear tight t-shirts in the real world. I of myself have plenty of t-shirts oh. that are that tight. It's not a big deal. But they are garments, um, not undergarments. So that's fine. Um, whatever. I it didn't. Oh, you know, I should, I should point out the the guy who played Diablo. Actually, I thought that was in a sea of sort of bizarre and he misguided actu- performances he had a weird calm and i mean he had kind of a troubled zen about him yeah and, and actually I, he, he pulled it off but he I, did I, don't, I thought he did his performance was good and i thought his story arc in the story was good i just don't know if it has anything to do with his character in the comics yeah i, I don't need speak to that i don't either but um, it worked. he actually i thought kind of worked right as a to balance out the, the, the nonsense that was going on right around. like he had an emotional through line yeah and i felt like um margot Robbie's character and will smith's character had emotional through lines I, every time the joker came on screen the plot went to hell um and i hated him but you know whatever I think Mark, from what I've heard, Margot Robbie also hated him, so he's probably not going to be back in sequels. We can all live in hope. Well, he, since he seems to trash the movie every time he's interviewed, I, I, well, I think he was hoping he would be a bigger character than he was, and he wasn't. If I may say this about the Joker, who actually I think is among a handful of the greatest villains in comic books, uh, I mean, uh, Doctor Doom, a few others that I, you might want to Lex Luthor. I'll say this: I, I personally, just in my view. Uh, he suffered from the post Heath Leather, Leather uh, Ledger Le- Joker, which I really think is one of the most arresting performances uh, of a superhero villain or any. I mean, that's just a great performance, comic book or otherwise. And everything else is kind of falling short. And Leto seemed to be trying so hard that to me, he's perfectly encapsulated the problem is going to become with playing the Joker after I, the Joker of the Dark Knight. I think. Okay, I will say that what I think was the gold standard for Joker performances that don't make me want to stick a pillow over my head and go, ah, because they're so squickly over the top, um, which, I mean, frankly, I felt the Heath Ledger performance, well, genius was just emotionally unwatchable to me. I was just like, ah, Um, is, is Mark Hamill's. Mm. Um, and Not for me, but doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, but I would say that, like, basically, you can't you can't try to to top or do what Heath Ledger did. You just have to pretend that never happened and do yeah. your own take because that's just too much of a unicorn. You can't. Yeah. You can't try that. It yeah. just won't. And I mean, and Jared he seemed to be trying so hard. And, and by all accounts, wasn't... he was trying. He basically tried to um, to method act the Joker. To the point where he was harassing everyone on stage. On oh, I heard yes. Heard, yeah, read something about that. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah. Well, I mean, Jared Leto. Um, yeah. Enough said. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but you know, I, I will say that actually, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, didn't, um, uh, I kind of liked Batman. I kind of liked. Yeah. Ben oh, Affleck. yeah. They they use the, they use Batman, Batman well good. and sparingly. Yeah. When people were like, Batman's gonna be in it. I was like, oh no. But Batman yeah. was really just there in like short flashback yeah, moments kind of cameos of, cameos so, so of like of like well how do supervillains get caught in this universe batman yes <laughs> yeah so that was that, i yeah i thought he did good i thought he did good in it so um you know problematic movie um you know we'll see i guess but, it'll make its I mean, money back I, but I felt, probably not much more <laughs> i thought that while it's hardly the savior of the dc universe and i still will vastly prefer wonder woman to it i suspect i don't it doesn't fill me with comic book hate or rage mm. the way that uh, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman did at times, um, where I felt like watching this movie, the person making this movie didn't fundamentally understand the characters. Watching this movie, I felt like they understood the characters and they gave us the characters mm-hmm. we know. They just put them into a stupid movie. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to say it. Uh, I, you know, I thought Batman versus Superman was better. Well, I'm sure there'll be more to come on this. There certainly will. And now, the briefs. 
So, Sunny Liu, creator of many, 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 many uh, Western comics, and also his own recent tour de force of comics art and Singapore history, Charlie Chan Hock Chai, has won the Singapore Literature Prize for Literature in English. And, I mean, this is a huge award there. This is like the Singapore equivalent of Britain's Booker Prize. Um, and this is the first time it's ever been awarded to graphic fiction. And so, you Could, know... It, it does, uh, utterly deserves it. A masterpiece, you, you're not overstating it calling that book a masterpiece. We, we talked about it about a few shows yeah. back, Heidi and I, and that, but... Really, it's it's a great book. It's a great book, and um, you know Singapore is not the freest press in the world at times, and so he's gotten a certain amount of friction over this book, which is, while clearly made with a love of Singapore, is is critical at times. Yeah, um, and so he took some friction for that, and so it's really a vindication for him to win this prize, you yeah, know, in is. in this comics home. So congratulations, yes, to kudos, and, and and much congratulations uh, to really uh, a masterful uh, work of comics. Um, at Worldcon, not only has Neil Gaiman won the Hugo Award for Sandman Overture, but Bob Kane has won a retrospective award at Worldcon. So congratulations to yeah. Ghost of Bob Kane. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Runaways, the Marvel comic series, not the band, is getting its own, um, I guess you can't call it a television series, well, but you can watch Hulu on a television. You're getting your own streaming series, let's put it that way, yes, whole on new Hulu. Category of like, <laughs> you know, media mania, sure. Um, yeah, well, you know what? I read some of the early volumes of uh, Runaways uh, that um, Brian K. Vaughn did. Great series. It'll be terrific to see it on TV. Yeah, I mean, I read Runaways the whole way through. Mm -hmm. And I am sad that it is no longer with us. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm definitely primed to see it on Hulu, and maybe it will create a renaissance for the comic. Yeah, because it's a great concept. The, the, the kids of supervillains have... Uh, Find out what their parents right. are. And, you know, go forth to yeah. both live their lives and discover themselves and also try to undo some of what their parents did. Yeah, yeah. Um, great concept. There, there have been, since this comic proper ended, uh, the Runaways name just sort of slapped on some random groups of kids that didn't have any of the original characters. Uh, but I'm hoping that maybe with the Runaways series going to Hulu and being popular, we'll see some of our old favorites back. Yeah. Actually, it's great that there's so many channels now for... Uh, for media. Yeah, for media to be done, you know, original or adaptations or whatever you want. Um, I'm, and I'm, find an audience. For example, I am really, really loving, much to my surprise, the... Uh, Voltron reboot on Netflix uh -huh. being made by the people who brought you Avatar Last Airbender okay and it's really fun and well made and um, I don't think we'd be seeing it at all if it weren't for Netflix cool. so there are, you know there's a lot of of good places to find good new things I mean currently I'm enjoying uh, historical crime series from Korea on the, otherwise known as Joseon CSI uh, okay. <laughs> on, uh, on Amazon Prime. <laughs> hey, you know, you, we, we see uh, British historical mysteries all the time. Why not Korea? There you go. I, I agree. What a country. <laughs> and uh, speaking of imports online, one last thing. Uh, Gundam, the origin, um, the manga which is an origin story for Japan's famed Gundam saga, is now available free online, legally, the first 30 issues. 30 issues. Yeah, three cool. zero, uh, Which is really 
quite a lot of free issues. Yeah. Usually it's like three. Now this is a series that just recreates the origin of Gun- it, Gundam, right? It's not the act. This isn't the actual Gundam series. It, it is. But although not I think the, the original, original creator did it. It's yeah. The original team. Yeah. Is is involved? It's definitely, you know, not from scratch. But it's Gundam originally. Its whole origin story thing is is patched together from several yeah. different mm-hmm. series yeah. over time, mm-hmm. many of which are hard to get your hands yeah. on. So they decided to sort of make a unitary mm. conglomeration, as it were, make yeah. it into one smooth story that you can un- yeah. read through. Um, much like um, their doing a new uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes manga in Japan which unlike the con- unlike the novel series is not being translated boo hiss um, which instead of making you if you really can't handle reading a novel series is uh, giving it to you in a little more uh, digested form than a 150 episode anime there you go and one more piece of news Image has moved to Portland. Oh, I think they are, have they moved or are they about to do it? I think they're in the process. They of, have, yeah, they are officially moving yeah. to Portland. Yeah, they are, they're, it's their new home base. Which is which is more and more seeming like the uh, center of the comic book, or certainly the independent comic book um, world now, with uh, CBLDF moving there not too long ago. Uh, more comics creators than I can think of moving there. Some other comics organization and publishers who I've lost track of. of. But um, so, um, you know, I guess if you ever want to go on a comic book vacation, um, <laughs> go to Portland. <laughs> it's, sure, you know, it's all there. Anyway, so, yeah. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons, live at FlameCon with Greg Peck. Hey, how's it going? So, Greg Peck, what brings you to FlameCon? Well, I got invited, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's a. I love community cons. I love cons that are, you know, focused on uh, nurturing all kinds of different audiences. And uh, I got, I back a couple of years ago, FlameCon ran a Kickstarter, and I backed it because I thought it was a great idea. And uh, and they invited me out. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I guess I've I've written a lot of gay and lesbian characters over the years. And, mm-hmm. So uh, the folks there were, you know, really very kind to uh, to give me an invitation. Awesome. Um, so, um, so how has your FlameCon experience been this year? It's been great. I've uh, uh, I did a panel yesterday about uh, diversity, and, uh, and it was a ton of fun. Very smart people on the panel. Very funny people, and the audience was really great. Like, yeah, it's a really smart and involved audience. So the questions were great. It was a it was a good time. And I've been tabling, and it's been uh, very nice. I have lots of people coming by and picking stuff up and talking, and uh, it's been great. Storm is probably the most popular book I've got out here on my table right now. Well, Storm and the Princess Who Saved Herself. That's the kid's book I got. Uh, ABC Disgusting, which is another one of my kid's books, has been doing well. So, But yeah, I've written a lot of X-Men over the years, and the X-Men, also, yeah, the Extreme X-Men book I did. There are a lot of folks here who, who have said nice things about it, which is nice, but... Uh, and it's been fun. So this being FlameCon, what would you say is your favorite work you've done with an LGBT character? Probably the Extreme X-Men book. Uh, it's a story about a dimension-hopping group of mutants led by Dazzler, who have a, their, their mission is to travel around different dimensions and uh, kill ten evil Xaviers, because there are ten evil Xaviers out there, and that's their job. They have to take them out. Uh, but... Uh, but as part of that team, there's an alternate universe uh, Wolverine and an alternate universe uh, Hercules, um, who during the course of the story become lovers. And they're just awesome. I just love those two characters. Howlett is the, uh, the, the the Wolverine character. And he's an older Wolverine. He's like in his yeah. 50s. He's like big and burly. He was like the uh, former governor general of the Canada of his world. He, <laughs> becomes, he comes from a world which is, uh, in, in, it's like a, kind of a steampunk mythology world you know what i mean so it's like a night it's like a turn of the century world where uh the gods walk among men you know among humans and uh so he and hercules fell in love during that time so but it's it, it was it's those characters just so, so much fun to so write. that uh book and its run when it came out is oh it's called well the book is called extreme x-men and there are two volumes out right two collected volumes out right now i think we did that in what 2000 and 
maybe 2011, 2013. I, it's all bandy. Yeah. I don't know, just because there are so many yes. things called that, I just wanted to make, yeah, a, yeah, make yeah. sure our readers could find it's the, the mo- right one. It's the most recent. Oh, it's, if you Google Extreme X-Men and my last name, Pak, P-A-K, you'll find it. Okay, great. And do you have anything else that you would like to tell our Yes. Yes, listeners? as a matter of fact, I do. Thank you for asking. I have, <laughs> a, uh, I have a brand new book called Kingsway West, which comes out on Wednesday, uh, August 24th. It's uh, my first creator-owned book with a mainstream publisher. I'm really excited about it. It's coming up from Dark Horse. And it is, uh, so it's called Kingsway West, and it's the story of a Chinese gunslinger searching for his wife in an Old West overrun with magic. Uh, so it's a it's a magical Western. It's awesome. Miracle Kolak is the artist. It sounds very cool. And uh, yeah, and I hope you hope you, if you, if you feel free to check it out. If you live in uh, New York or Long Island or Philly, or D.C. or Annapolis or Wilmington, uh, <laughs> go to gregpock.com because I'm doing a little mini tour next week, and uh, you may be able to catch me at your local comic shop. Thank you so much. Thank you. So this is Kate with Simmons, and I am here at FlameCon with the writer of Kim and Kim. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Magdalene Bassaggio. Awesome. So uh, how has your FlameCon been? Oh, it's been fantastic. This has probably been the best show I've ever done in terms of the overall atmosphere and in my table performance. Um, I've been really busy, and I'm pretty much sold out of my stuff. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about Kim and Kim? Kim and Kim is about a couple of best friends who decide to launch an interdimensional bounty hunting business out of their flying van. That is awesome. That was the idea. So uh, when you when people like come up to the table... Um, have they experienced the book before? Are they new to it? Um, a lot of people have already purchased the book and bring up their copies for me to sign. Um, I've had a lot of people who have heard about the book and were just excited to see it so they could finally get one because Black Mask books aren't always in your local comic shop because uh, it's a smaller publisher. Um, and I've had a lot of people who have been like, oh, I've heard about this. What is it? And, a bit, and just a few people who were totally unfamiliar with it. Awesome. And do you have anything that you would like to tell our listeners? Oh, God, the pressure. Um, anything. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Sounds good. Thank you so much. This is Kate Fitzsimmons, and I am at FlameCon 2016 with Sophie Campbell. Hi. So uh, the only book I see out here <laughs> is, like, two issues of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, by which I take it that your books are selling well. Yes, I am also about, except for these two last lonely copies of Ninja Turtles. So how is your FlameCon this year? It's been really awesome. I've never done it before. It's my first time at FlameCon. Um, this has been really good. Like Everybody is like really excited and supportive, and I feel like it's like a really safe space, which I like. Um, yeah, it's just been really good. I think it's probably, it's one of the best cons I've done. I think. So, have you been on any on any panels this year? Yeah, I did. Um, today, I did like a female characters panel, mm-hmm. and then yesterday, I did like a diversity panel. I mean, they were both really good. So, I'm guessing you got a lot of love for your gem comic. Yes, absolutely. A lot of love for gem. A lot of love for wet moon. It was cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you have do you have anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Um, follow me on Twitter at mooncalf1. Thank you again. Awesome.